millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Join Hoda Kotb for a brand new season of her podcast, Making Space. For season five, I am making space to talk to people who are providing a sense of hope and inspiration when life changes course. Uplifting conversations with inspiring individuals like NFL legend Drew Brees, singer-songwriter Ziggy Marley, and today's show co-anchor Savannah Guthrie as you have never heard her before. I found faith more viscerally, not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it did. I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Ibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium. And we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is zibbyowens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Jenny Lisk is the author of Future Widow, Losing My Husband, Saving My Family, and Finding My Voice. Jenny is a best-selling author and widowed mom who is dedicated to helping widowed parents increase their family's well-being. In her book, Future Widow, Jenny draws on her personal and professional experience to provide a real-life guide for surviving and thriving while raising grieving children. Her show, The Widowed Parent Podcast, draws on over 100 interviews with experts, seasoned widow parents, and people who lost a parent at a young age. It brings much-needed resources to widowed parents, helping them feel less lost and alone. Jenny's work has been featured in the Washington Post and Parent Map. Welcome, Jenny. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Future Widow, Losing My Husband, Saving My Family, and Finding My Voice. Oh, thank you so much, Zibi. I've been looking forward to this all week, Aww. all month. All, yes, yes, it's been fantastic. I've had this on my bedside for the past, you know, week or so as I've been reading it. And my husband's like, is there something I should know? <laughs> like, yeah. Anyway, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, I didn't really think of that when I named it, but the the title was just too perfect. So I don't think I would change it even if I thought of that. But yeah, that's an interesting reaction. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. And I know, you know, it came, well, I'm assuming it came from when you were invited to that group in the hospital and you were like, is this the future widows group or something? Right. Is that when it? Yeah. Well, two things. There's that. And then also I felt like, you know, I was very much in the spotlight during this eight months. My husband was sick, particularly, you know, we had a large community following us, helping us, supporting us, which was terrific. And I felt very much in the spotlight. And so I would go to pick up the kids at school. And I remember walking around feeling like, you know, in the Scarlet Letter, Hester. Yes, Prince, that's right. Yes. A, I remember that section. Uh, right? Yes, yes. I felt like I had an F 
W on my shirt, you know, future widow. And like I was walking around and people would probably be thinking very nicely, right? Oh, there's that poor woman. She's going to be a widow soon. Right. And I, you know, everybody was super nice. It wasn't that it was probably more me, right. Feeling it, but that was definitely part of this, this sense. And I think what made sense for the, for the book title as well. I do remember the Hester print section of your book. And I totally understand that feeling where people know what's going on and they don't know what to say and they don't know what to do. And, you know, there's something and you can just feel it's like, you know, it's like the porcupine pricklers come out of everybody. Do you know what I mean? Like it's (laughs) something just as like, like this extra sensitivity. So anyway, I totally understood that. Maybe I should back up and have you explain to listeners a little about, I mean, I know your subtitle kind of sums it up, but what this book is about, how you decided to turn your Caring Bridge entries into this memoir and you know what else they should know about it before I ask you like a zillion other questions. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, how long do we have? We could talk. All I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. Okay. So just to, to kind of, you know, set the, the background a little bit here. So my husband, Dennis had glioblastoma, which is a very, very aggressive type of brain cancer. I had never heard of it before. Um, now we've heard, you know, John McCain, actually, I think his, the anniversary of his death was like yesterday or the day before. Bo Biden died of the same thing. So it's become a little bit more heard of these days, but it started for us when he just was feeling a little dizzy, right? No big deal. In fact, I had dropped off my son. It was a busy Friday, right? You're a mom. You know how it goes. You're running your kids around. You come home. He's just come home from work. He's sitting on the couch and he has this funny look on his face. And I actually thought he looked kind of pissed off about something. Like maybe something had gone wrong during the day. Like I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what. So I said, hey, what's going on? Well, I've been feeling a little dizzy lately. Well, dizzy. Okay. Maybe he's dehydrated. Maybe he hasn't gotten enough sleep, right? I mean, I, who knows, right? We had this whole conversation about maybe he should call his doctor. You know, what had he been noticing? Blah, blah, blah. As you might do. I went out and got takeout. It was a Friday night, right? So I wasn't going to call his doctor. It would just be, does he need to go to the ER or something? He wasn't passing out. He wasn't having seizures. He wasn't, you know, nothing dramatic. I went and got takeout, came back. And then, of course, I'm like, okay, how you doing, right? How you feeling? (laughs) And he looks at me and he says, oh, I'm okay. But I've been feeling a little dizzy lately. And I looked at him and I was like, what? And I I said, you know, so I'm calm on the outside, right? Well, you know, you just told me that. And he said, I did. And I'm like, oh, my God, what is going on here, right? And yeah, 20 minutes ago, we were sitting right here, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, really? So then I'm thinking, okay, this is too weird. I don't think he's pulling my leg here, right? But then he was totally normal. Cognitively seemed normal. So I'm thinking, am I overreading the situation? Am I imagining things, right? Second guessing myself. Fast forward, I observed him for about a week of this getting progressively worse. And I was like, all right, I'm calling his doctor. Because he had called, of course. And they're like, yeah, come in in three weeks. I'm calling the doctor. I'm stepping in and saying, look, this is what I'm seeing. And they said, bring him in today. They said, let's get an MRI. Then they said, actually, go back and see the doctor right now. You know, we're not going to do the normal. We'll call you in two days, right? The doctor says, well, there's something really wrong with your brain. Now, we went in, this is primary care, right? We went in thinking there was a little side effect of some medicine, no big deal. There's something really wrong with your brain. I don't want to scare you. It might be glioblastoma. I'm like, what's glioblastoma? You have to go see the neurosurgeon tomorrow. So fast forward, we see the neurosurgeon. He says, we're doing surgery the following day. That started this whole thing. It became eight months of terminal illness and me being a caregiver and me being a future widowed parent. 
right? And and not knowing how how do I navigate this with the kids? This feels big. This feels like it's going to impact them. It will obviously is going to impact them in some way forever. How does how do I do this so hopefully it doesn't destroy them? It's always going to be part of the story, right? But how do I do this so with a better outcome than a less good outcome? And ended up creating a Caring Bridge journal and blogging out. I'm rambling on and on here. Which direction do you want to go? No, with? no, I love it. I, <laughs> no, I mean, it's great. I, like I got a lot of, I mean, it's great. People listening should hear it because that's a lot of <laughs> the book is you're telling the story and that's the way you tell the book. That's the way you wrote mm. the book too. It's as if we're talking to you now. This is like a perfect, yeah. you know, sample preview of the book <laughs> because it's all in your voice and you can just hear you talking. Like I knew this is how you would talk when I met you, which is great. I love <laughs> that. That is so funny. That is so funny. So, that's awesome. Uh, well, that's great. I'm glad that came across. I Thank you. I didn't know that, but that's terrific. It's true. It's- I'm sorry. I cut you off. No, no, it's it's fine. You know, well, so many things. One, the thing that I found so, well, one of the things I found compelling is how even though this book is about being a future widow, there was so much about your children and what it would mean to you, as you just said, to be a future parent of a child who also had lost a parent, right? Like, so that was Mm, in mm -hmm. the top of your consciousness all along. And even the way you talked about, well, in that situation, like this person had my kids and then I worried about my kids. And then they came this one time and I didn't think that they should see my husband. And then they had a tantrum and like all these realistic things because yeah, yeah. as we're doing anything in life, even something as gutting and all encompassing as the loss of a spouse, like it's hard to let go of the logistics of the kids. Right. And yeah, all of that yeah. stuff that is always like, yeah. it's like the ball, like in the pool, like you're playing you know, like keep it up with the ball. You know what I yeah. mean? Like yeah, you're yeah, still, yeah. you don't want that stuff to drop. Right. And so right. I loved how you integrated that into your story. Mm. Oh, thanks. I, you know, and so the, you know, speaking of Caring Bridge, so I, my sister suggested that I start Caring Bridge, which of course I was familiar with because I've had a lot of people in the community use it for things like this. And, and I thought, no, I'll just send some text updates here and there and some emails. And pretty quickly it became obvious that that was just not going to work. I was, you know, you can only copy paste text so many times, right? <laughs> and so I said, all right, I'll start the Cambridge. And the first entries were very matter of fact, like, you know, he had surgery and now he's eating and maybe he'll come home next week. Like just, but what happened was over time, and I didn't realize this, it really became my vehicle kind of for reflecting and for sharing out, you know, speaking to my corner of the world, we had a lot of people who wanted to support us and who wanted to follow along. And I needed that support. We had a lot of meals, rides, dog walks, you know, you name it, all these things. And I found that I would, you know, if I was driving over the bridge to see him or to come back to see him or walking around taking care of X or Y or Z, I'd be turning over ideas in my head. My next post could be this, like, here's what's happening. How, am, what are my reflections? How is this landing? What am I worried about? You know, and, and then thinking about even composing, you know, words in my head as I was going around doing stuff, which, so, it, you know, come to find out, I never heard the word anticipatory grief either. Well, it turns out that's a thing. And I think that I was working out things along the way by taking time to turn over ideas in my head, to process things, and then to put them in writing as we went in the form of these essentially blog posts, but reflecting as, you know, as we went along through this eight months. And then at the end, I was like, you know, I've got 15,000 words here. 
this feels like the start of something. You know, 15,000 words of journal entries are not a book, but they could become the basis of a book. And then how do you do that, right? I've never written a book before. How do you turn a bunch of journal entries into something that becomes an actual compelling book that somebody wants to read that's not like this happened, this happened, this happened, the end, right? <laughs> like, so that's when I started thinking about, okay, I could turn this into a memoir and started working on that. But that was after I started the podcast, I should say. So Yeah, tell you know, me about starting the here. podcast. Yeah, so it's called the Widowed Parent Podcast. And I, I felt like all along... I wasn't finding resources and I felt lost as a widowed parent, right? So like, as far as me and being a widowed person and being a grieving person and myself, I'm not saying it was easy at all. I'm saying I found resources, right? I found a million books. I went to Camp Widow. I found a terrific therapist. I had great friends I could talk to. You know, there were all these things. I, I could see a, a path, right? I could see, I didn't feel as lost. But on the parenting side, it's like, how, how, how do I do this? And who can even help me figure out what, right, what to do here? It turns out there are a bunch of resources, but they're kind of fragmented and you don't really know about them unless you're kind of plugged in or somebody you know is plugged in. There are grief centers in communities all around the country and other places too. There are books, there's stuff. And so, at, you know, as I was learning about this and feeling lost, I realized a podcast is a good format for me to go out and interview people, people who could shed some light on this, you know, equation, you know, how to be a widowed parent, essentially. What do I need to know? What do I need to be aware of? What do I need to do? All these things. And so I realized, you know, most widowed parents aren't going to take the time or make the time to go out and interview all these people themselves. And there's no need to, but I could stand in their place in you know, behind the mic, interviewing somebody who could shed light on some piece of this and bring all these together in a weekly format and share it out, you know, with listeners. And so that's how it started. And I started that during Children's Grief Awareness Month, which is November every year, which is coming up again. So this was three years ago. And then eventually what I did as I started kicking around the book ideas, I realized that I was learning an awful lot through the podcast that I wished I had known five years ago, six years ago. And so applying some of those lessons, and I wanted to bring that element, and this was part of, you know, why, how journal entries become a book in my case, was I, I had the journal entry and then I added, as you know, a reflection or additional information or something, you know, after each one. In some cases, it was, you know, here's how things went, and I wish I had done X instead because things would have been set up better, you know, as far as grieving kids and things. In some cases, it was here's what was going on. I didn't, you know, lie about anything in the journal entries, but I also didn't share everything that was going on behind the scenes and some stuff, you know, just maybe wasn't ready to share or whatever at the time that now I said, all right, here's some more kind of backstory of some other things going on, you know, bringing that in as well. Wow. Now it all comes together and wow. <laughs> no, it's, it's really great. The resources you provided and you know, it's hard to pull off, right? It's hard to pull off because I've read other books too, where you take a diary, because, okay, having a journal or a diary of a really uh, emotional experience often makes people want to go back and write books about it, right? But yeah, yeah. a lot of times they'll include like paragraphs or, I don't know, it's just hard to pull off. And I think you did yeah. a really good job because it wasn't just that you were using the passages, but I loved your reflection after the fact, right? Like, 
Because time passes and you think about it, you're like, oh my gosh, I remember that. And there's also something to it too, where it's like, you want to know, like when I read Caring Bridge, if people, or I hear about people going through stuff and you get like an update, you, you really want to know like what else is going on? What else can I do? How can I help? Like what, what are they going through? What does that look like? And that's what this book does so well. It's like, this is really what it, you know, this is what it was like coming back to my kitchen when like we had been in a remodel and that was like the worst time ever. And, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm literally, I was thinking to myself reading this, I'm like, I don't know if my school community would come out in the same, quite the same way. I mean, you were so lucky with your I was incredibly was so lucky. nice of all of them. Yes, I was so lucky. And I learned a lot from that. And that's because I'd never been on this side of, you know, receiving on the receiving end of support, right? In a crisis situation. And and you learn a lot, both on practical stuff, what people do that's helpful, but also like you see how different people react and you see who obviously has some experience somewhere with grief and is comfortable and doesn't run away and who seems uncomfortable and doesn't know what to say and maybe doesn't say anything because they don't want to say the wrong thing. So one of the things I tried to weave in here, one of the kind of sub themes was also how to be an ally, right? How to support grieving people. And I realized that I was doing that through CaringBridge in real time. And I, you know, I was deliberate about that. And then I was deliberate about doing that here too and trying to, you know, I'm not hitting people over the head with it, but, you know, showing an example. And I've had readers who are not widowed parents who read it anyway, who say, whoa, I've learned so much about supporting my friend who's going through cancer or my friend whose husband just died or et cetera, of how to be a good ally just, you know, by reading our, my story and, you know, and those elements too. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, grownups. The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery. Perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishful podcast studio from the cat in the hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat 
has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. So sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic Tongue Twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. You have a tip that I always forget and so important too. Instead of asking people, how are you? It's how are you today? Like, how's your day going today? Yeah. You know, because often you can't think past that and... That's, you know, when you, when you shared your train of thought with, do I really want to go into the whole thing? Does this person need to hear the whole thing? Like, how am I feeling? Like, you're like, I had 57 thoughts in half a second. And then I ended up just saying, fine. (laughs) Exactly. Yes, exactly. And fine was not accurate. Right. Of course not. Right now, listeners, listeners can't see I'm doing air quotes here. Fine. But I couldn't, but there was no other answer that was really possible, even though it wasn't accurate or helpful to me, to them, to anybody. And somebody asking really did care and want, you know, usually to know, but yeah, it just would create fits of uncertainty in me. So yeah, that was, I hate that question. It took me a long time before now I'm kind of back to where someone says, how are you? And now I can be like, fine, you know, cause it's become one of those questions in society. It's not even really a question. How are you fine? How are you, you know, fine. Okay, good. And you move on. Right. And for a while though, it was not, it was an actual question to me and it was just terrible. Yeah. It's like in French, you know, they say like, ça va? And all, you, you're, all you're supposed to say is, ça va? Right? Like, you okay? I'm okay. Right? Like, that's uh-huh. all they really need to do. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's just like... It's a greeting. It's just a greeting. It's, yeah. Right. Nobody actually cares how you are. I mean, they might care, but yeah. then that's the next question. <laughs> right, 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 right. No, I'm right. kidding. They do yeah. care, but that that's not what they're... except Not in that exchange. Right, not, although, right. the way you pointed it out was like, how are you? Right? Like you could tell that people were saying it like that. Like, how yeah, are you? Yeah, with the head tilt. Yeah. With the head right. tilt. Head yeah. tilt, emphasis. You? Like you can tell me, right? Right. Let's really go right. there. You're like, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> right. Well, and sometimes it's like, well, you know, how much do they know? Do I need, have they read all the carrying bridges and therefore they just want to know the latest, what happened in the last two hours? Yeah. Or do they really they only kind of know her husband has cancer and there's a problem, but they don't know the details. So I should just give some more summary information yeah. and like parsing all that in a half a second and then figuring out what to say is just impossible. And I like how you also said for all the people who came to help you, right. That that's something that they needed to do too. Like mm. you get a lot out of helping someone who needs help, right? Like yeah. I feel like people are very reluctant to ask for help in basically any situation. And then people are afraid to just pitch in because they don't want to overstep and all of this. Right. But right. if you just show up and do something, no one's ever going to get mad. Like no one's like, yeah. oh, that person was too helpful in my time of need. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I feel like people need to remember that when you have someone who's struggling, like right now, like there's probably someone listening who has somebody they know who's going through something or a family going through something. Because in today's world, I feel like everyone's going through something. You know, Mm -hmm. just send dinner, just send something, do something, right? right? I don't know. You might as well. It it can, and it'll make you feel good too. Well, and the thing that I've learned, one of the things that I've learned is that, you know, everybody wants to fix it. 
right? Everybody, the thing, the number one thing they want is to fix it. Whatever fix it means, take away the cancer, take away the terminal diagnosis, take away the problem. The fact is they can't fix it, right? The doctors maybe can, depending on the situation, but you know, your neighbor can't actually fix the underlying problem. But what they can do is fix the practical problems that you have. The fact that you need dinner tonight and you are spending all day at the hospital and then your kids have to be here and here and then you're going to be too tired and now you have a problem because you don't have dinner to eat, they can fix that. They can fix the fact that your kids need a ride to soccer because you're going to be doing you know whatever with treatments or whatever you're doing, right? There's a lot of practical problems they can fix. And that helps me handle things better, right? Yep. And I didn't really realize that before I was on this side of it. Because like you said, you, you, you feel like you don't want to overstep or interfere or whatever. And, you know, I learned, you know, when people would say, let me know if I can do anything to help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's almost harder. And yeah. you know, that's really your burden now, right? Now it's my, yeah. right. Because first of all, I might not know what I need. Yeah. Secondly, now I have to be worried about, well, okay, right this second, maybe I don't need something. But, you know, when I do need toilet paper from Costco next Tuesday, if I call them, they're probably going to be in the middle of whatever they're in the middle of. And it's not, you know, now I'm burdening them to right, you know, to, to do, I'm probably not going to call, but then you have to make them feel like, you know, Oh, thank you so much. And sitting here saying to yourself, well, now I'm not going to call you because I don't know what you really want to help me with. Yeah. I don't know if you're a person that I should ask for shopping or for car pools or for dinner. And it's too hard to figure it out. Right. But if someone says, I'd love to bring you dinner you know, is there a night of the week that's not covered? Yep. And you can say, yeah, and, you know, and what's your kid's favorite food? Yep. And you can say, you know what, Wednesdays and sushi. Mm-hmm. Like, and, you know, and when one person did this and he said, how about if I bring sushi the next, you know, what's your favorite takeout place for sushi? I'll bring it the next four Wednesdays. Does that work for you? And I was like, oh my God, yes. Right. <laughs> so that kind of thing. And because if it's a specific offer. Yes. It's easier for me to evaluate, mm-hmm. first of all, and it's easier for me to get a sense of what kind of things you might want to help with. And it's easier for me to say, well, no, I don't need the dog walked, you know, on Mondays, but I do need them, you know, her walked on Tuesdays. Right. And then they can say yes or no to that or whatever, right? Rather than kind of a more global, yes. let me know if I can do anything, which just puts the burden back on me, which is just really impossible to handle when you're already handling all these other things. Wouldn't it be great if people listening, if we could start some sort of like hashtag send dinner something Do you know what I mean? so that people, maybe all the people who are like on their walks today and they're hearing this conversation and they're feeling bad, maybe that they didn't do it before or feeling empowered. Like they could just go, you don't even have to make it yourself. Like you don't have to send a casserole or whatever they used to do. Like when yeah. I had a friend going through something, I went on open was open table or seamless or whatever and like sent them like a whole thing of pasta and pizza. Like whatever. Who's gonna turn yeah. that? So just I would say if there's somebody you know out there today, just go on open table or go, call your local takeout place and just have them deliver a pizza or something and it will make yeah. their day. So anyway. Well, and you might want to check and make sure they're not gonna that they'll actually be home. Right. Okay, I mean, yes. so there's, <laughs> well, yeah, but, but then that's a whole nother thing. I would just say, just tell them to leave it on the thing. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, and so, you know, along those lines, one of, I remember one of my friends, she said, we had, you know, somebody set up a meal train. And so people signed up for different nights and someone signed up for whatever day. And a couple of days before that day, she said, my night is Thursday. I'm going to get pizza from, you know, the good pizza place. What toppings do you like? 
And what time do you want it delivered? And so I told her and she made all the arrangements and the pizza showed up. So nice. And and the kids loved yeah. it because you know what? They were tired of casseroles. Yeah. You know, or or what you might call, you know, other people's food. Right. right? As an adult, I'm like, somebody else's casserole, great. Yeah. I didn't have to cook it, great. <laughs> right. But but you know, kids, they often like, you know, the food that's familiar and the food that their parents cook and the stuff that feels like home or whatever. And if it's somebody else's food, it feels maybe like you're visiting someone else's house. Yeah. I'm not sure I've ever even had a casserole. Have you? <laughs> I literally, I mean, I have the I have like the glass dishes. I've had like a frittata uh-huh. or something, but I don't think uh-huh. casserole. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. My mom made a casserole when I was growing up called Jane's Dinner Dish. And that, that recipe is passed down through the years. So we do occasionally have casserole. We have like, we have like noodle kugel that. in that dish, like a, a kugel. Like, anyway, but that's, anyway, I'm getting <laughs> off topic here. <laughs> I'll just say, you know, if there's anything to take away and there's so much to take away from your story about how to help friends, how to help families, your whole journey is like designed to help other people in so many ways and to increase empathy and to help us really understand what it's like for you, Mm. for the widow, for the children, you know, all of it. It's just like picking up those small little details and making someone's day. So it's something you can do. Anyway, so Jenny, what else, what are you doing? So you're doing your podcast. You have this amazing book. What is your, like, do you want to take this new places? Do you want to keep doing this? Like, what are your visions? Are, is this, are you doing this for a set amount of time? And that, like, I know you were a, since like a operations consultant or something, like I'm blanking on the word. IT, 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 yeah, IT. Yeah, 20 years. Yeah. In fact, I was in your area in New York. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, awesome. So yeah. what's going to come next? And also how do your children feel about this becoming sort of part of your professional identity? Yeah. Well, interestingly, and there's 17 and 14, almost 15 now. They haven't read it yet. They're welcome to. They, I think they're in a phase where they don't pick up books as much. So, you know, there's copies all over the house. They can pick it up whenever they want to. You know, as far as what's next, oh my gosh, I have so many plans. In fact, I have heard you talking about your children's books and your anthologies. And I'm like, I'm just going to copy Zibby and follow whatever she's doing. (laughs) (laughs) Because I actually, I have planned in the works. I have a couple anthologies. I I think that's what I want to do next with widowed parents with essays. And so I will organize the topics you know, write the introduction, the conclusion, and get contributions from widowed parents on some different themes. I think that's going to be the next project. And I think there could be different versions or volumes of that, maybe one with, you know, widowed dads and one with hearing from people who lost a parent when they were young and hearing their reflections. And there's all kinds of flavors. So I I think I have a few there. I have an idea for a line of children's books as well for, and I think it's going to be called the, the, the Kids Like Me series or something like that. There'll be, it's going to be 24 because there are 24 positive psychology mm, traits. I don't know what they call them, character virtues or something like different. Each one, each one will have a theme of each one of those. And the kid in the story is picture books, like for little kids, right? It's not going to, like the kid will have lost a parent, but it's not, it's not going to be grief so much like, like some of the, you know, the dinosaur whose dad dies or things like that, but it's going to be more like a, like a problem, like, oh, my, you know, my dad died. So who's going to teach me how to tie my shoe? And then that's like the problem. And then they have to solve that by using one of the traits of positive psychology of like, I don't know, resilience or creativity or something. I haven't mapped it all out yet. I love it. Yeah. It's very cool. But I think it would align nicely. Yeah. And pulling in those and, you know, because an unexpected lesson, like I learned that I'm creative. So therefore I can do X. And even though my mom died, you know, I found whoever to help me or I don't know, I haven't worked it all out yet, but I think that kids need to have those kind of examples of there are other kids like me who lost a mom or lost a dad that are in the world with also, you know, real life 
problems and situations and stuff, you know, and have that example because a lot of kids feel really alone. They don't know anybody in their school in their neighborhood with a dead dad or a dead mom. They did just, you know, just based on how the numbers work out or whatever, they don't know anybody in their personal circles, which is one of the reasons why connecting kids with grief centers and grief programs Mm -hmm. is really useful because then they are with other kids who get it and they can see that this is, you know, normal for a subset of the population. There are other people going, they're not the only weird person in the whole world whose dad died or something. Right. And so I think I can do the same. I'd like to do the same thing through a book, a line of children's books, the same kind of, you know, messaging and framing around that. And then the real thing, not the real thing, I kind of view it as the magnum opus, the widowed parent handbook, which will be the nonfiction book kind of companion to the widowed parent podcast. Love it. So the podcast interviews are a lot of the research inputs yep. into that. I'm finding it tricky to think about an outline because it's not an easy question, right? It's not like if there was an answer, if I said, what do you need to know? Oh, if you know X, Y, Z, everything will be fine. At the end, that would be an easy book to write, right? But there's a lot of different stuff to think about. And yet it's not that there's nothing, right? There's lots of useful information people need to know. So how do I come up with some kind of model and structure that? So anyway, that's all in the works. <laughs> it's a, it's kind of a matter of like, well, what do I start first? Because these are all way too exciting. <laughs> I know. I, I like know that them. energy. It's when you find your, yes. when you find your thing, you just can't stop. It's really exactly, awesome. yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, it's been a lot of fun and, you know, connecting with amazing people, you know, both on the topic side and on the on the podcasting aspect and on the writing aspect you know kind of all these communities talking with people is a lot of fun and just you know because deep down it's all about helping people who feel lost and alone as I have you know had felt yeah. you know and trying to to get that message out and 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 help people who can identify you know with with some of these challenges with information and resources and help them feel less alone and just try to make things a little you know, I don't know if easier is the right word, but you know what I mean. I know what you mean. That's great. Okay. Last question. Advice for aspiring yeah. authors. Oh, yes. Okay. Good one. You know, I, I think the most important piece of advice that, that I got, which I'd like to pass on to other aspiring memoir writers mm-hmm. is that memoir is really an act of service. And I got this from Julie Lithcott Hames, who is a best-selling parenting author and also has a memoir on the topic of race. And she's talked about how memoir is really an act of service. And it's, you know, a good memoir is, it's not just a recitation of events. It's not just a navel gazing exercise of some kind. It's, it's intended to serve, right? You want your reader to learn something or think of something differently or get a new perspective on themselves or on the world or on the human condition or something. You want to introduce them to something that helps them think or moves them in some way or inspires them in some way or helps them in some way. And in fact, I heard you say recently in a, an interview you did with Alison Gilbert, you were talking about memoirs, like sitting down with a friend over coffee who's going through something, maybe going through something worse than you are and chatting with them and learning something from their story that you can apply to your life. Right? That's, that's memoir being an act of service. And as a writer, I think keeping that in mind of why you're doing it is helpful to the story, you know, to making the book better. And it's also, I think, helpful. I find it critical as, you know, as a writer. Every time I was questioning myself, why am I doing this anyway? Maybe I should, you know, just trash the whole thing. Is it going to really help anybody anyway? Is this, you know, it's just doubt and all that stuff, right? I wrote a little sticky note, memoir is an act of service, Julie Lipcott Hames, and I posted it on the wall above my computer. 
And every time I started doubting myself, I would look at that and say, all right, that's why I'm doing this. And it kind of bring me back to keep me motivated. So I think for those two reasons, keeping that firmly in mind is helpful to aspiring memoir writers. And write a little sticky note, put it above your computer if that helps. I have, uh, uh, I have my sticky note here. This is like, just, I can't remember who said it, but I was on a podcast and she said, God never wastes a pain. Uh, I just love that. Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't know. Because it's like, why did this happen? What can I do about it? I need to do yeah. something. There was a reason. I have to get this out in the world. Anyway, so yeah. everyone needs a sticky note of something. Yes, um, for sure. For sure. Anyway, Jenny, it was so nice to meet you. I'm so sorry. I should have started off this podcast by saying how sorry I was for your loss. I sh- I meant to say that right away. And of course, I got no distracted problem. by your Thank you. book and all of it. But, <laughs> you know, it was really great. I'm, I feel like I know your husband now, too. Like, it's really, it's a mitzvah what you did. You know, you brought him out into the world. So anyway... Thank you for everything, and I'm delighted to be connected. Thank you. This is great, and thank you for everything you're doing for authors and your podcast. I was re- or, well, your podcast, but I was meant to say your book. I was reading the intro and the conclusion about your, you know, your story of of setting all this up, and I just think it's a terrific platform for authors. And you talk about a mitzvah, <laughs> you know, to be able to you know help authors and great you know, connect authors with readers. You're providing a good service to the authors and the readers, right? Readers want to find interesting things in this time. When there's too many crazy things to read about, we we also, you know, maybe can get away and read some interesting books that you're bringing to us. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Thank you for saying that. All right. Well, yeah. have a great day and uh, we'll stay All in right, touch. Thanks. Okay. Okay. Take care. Sounds good. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music.